Okay, y'all, so we're going to pick up with our Joseph series. Um, I think we're going to have two more sermons in Joseph. So I was telling the first service, preaching is a very interesting thing. It's a, Jones called it uh, the romance of preaching, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And when I first read his biography, there was two biographies, and I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I don't know what that means, but hey, <laughs> I'm beginning ministry, beginning this dynamic of preaching, and and I can tell you, it is a, there is a romance with preaching. There's a love-hate relationship with preaching. And preaching's not like teaching, and it's not like giving a lecture. That's a controlled environment. That's like a scientific experiment. You control all the factors. Preaching is a divine event. It's actually God breaking in and doing something, and he can move things around even though you plan it. There's growth and development here. I could have something that I'm going to say, and then all of a sudden... I'm moving in a totally different direction or developing something, overlooking something. So I want you to know that in light of that, I think I found in Genesis two sermons I did not plan on doing. I thought I was done. You know, the last two chapters that we're looking at, other than today, are the throwaway chapters. You know, the kind you're just like, I don't know why they're in the Bible, but hey, it's just getting me to Exodus. So there... I was reading this week, and I saw that, you know, all this big event about Joseph being, like, abused by his brothers, his brothers hating them, and, and now there's this colossal, wonderful reunion, and you're like, oh, my word, what a reunion. But in all of it, when Jacob comes back, nowhere is there recorded the conversation that you know they were all going to need to have. Like, Jacob was going to have to say to you stupid sons. You did what to Joseph? Right? Now here's what's great. There's nothing of that in the Bible. There's no record of what happens when that happens. There's no record. So there's a sermon in there. <laughs> so we're going to continue. The other thing is this, is that, you know, we think of Joseph in such glowing terms, but you know what he ends up doing during the famine is he ends up consolidating power under a tyrant. And that's what led to the Egyptians hating the Israelites and then having the power to abuse them that leads to the exodus. So there's a sermon in there too. Maybe it's something on church and state, so you might not want to show up for that one. But when we get to Jesus, nothing but Jesus, we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with Pilate. So you're going to have to, you're going to, have to deal with the state somehow. People say, Jeff, don't be political. I'm not being political. We're dealing with reality. Maybe it's not too political. Maybe it's too loving or too just that we have to look at. Maybe it's too real. Now, I'm not going to deal with, obviously, policies and all that kind of stuff, because why? That, that's not necessarily real. But the relationship, the idea of the state and its function that God has set it up for, the church and its role in this world, and then how do these things relate? You bet the Bible speaks to that all over the place. So we'll handle some of that. But today, <laughs> today we're at the reunion. We've been waiting for this. Joseph is going to make this great line. It's almost like Jesus. He stands up and he says, I am Joseph. Right? It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's powerful. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, this is a chapter about, this, this is a topic about love. And love is a strange thing. And you know it's a strange thing, right? You and I say things like, I need love. We, we need love. Everybody says that. 
Listen to music. Listen to any song. I need love. We need love. Read any book. Watch any movie. I need love. We need love. Right? Check your own pulse. You want love. You need love. Check your disappointments. Check your dreams. If you get in a boat and paddle upstream to the end of, to the source of your disappointments and the source of your dreams, I need love. I want love. Love is a strange thing. And everybody knows this. Ancient people know this. Modern people know this. This is not just one segment of civilization or one culture or one time period. Everybody knows that love is the greatest good there is. Love is the greatest human exchange that happens between human beings, no matter whether you were Adam and Eve to the last human that lives. Every culture, every race, every gender, every age knows that. Just ponder any philosophy. Pick any religion, they're going to say it. Check any code of ethics. March for any form of social justice, and that will be the case. And I should say uh, biblical form of social justice. I had a scheduled time out here. In the first service I did it, I'm not as enthusiastic about it. But I feel like I need to do it. And I feel like I need to do it because it's reality. Because I'm on that topic. And I just want to do a quick time out. And that's this. There are forms of social justice that are not helpful. They're actually harmful. And there's one that, that uh, is called Marxism. It's a form of social justice. And I want to be just a bit persuasive here. Are there sins of power and idolatries of power? You bet. But some forms of social justice see power as the soil by which justice comes out of. And when that happens, reality becomes power. Truth becomes power. Everything becomes power and race and class. And when that happens, everybody gets obsessed with power, addicted to it. And it becomes tyrannical. And it becomes what Revelation describes as beast-like. And it becomes inherently harmful to human beings. No matter your color, no matter your culture, no matter your class. Because it's not reality. Because power isn't ultimate reality. Race isn't ultimate reality. What's ultimate reality is God. And God's good creation. And God's new creation. The Bible calls reality comes out of, justice comes out of the soil of revelation. God's good creation is the good, the beautiful, and the true. And it's comprehensively so, not selectively so. God's new creation, that's called redemption. That's the other revelation of God. That tells us what's good, beautiful, and true, and loving, and just. Biblical justice looks through the lens of two words of God, law and gospel, to get its form, to get its fullness, to fill the emptiness. And when this happens, it's inherently loving and humane and comprehensively good and life-giving and just and loving. That's biblical justice. Okay? 
Now that I've made some of you mad, it's fine. I seem to be doing that a lot lately. Let's go back to love is a strange thing, right? Love is a strange thing. So I was reading Mere Christianity, and I was reading Mere Christianity because a friend of mine sent me a chapter of screw tape letters, and then another friend sent me a chapter in Mere Christianity, and I thought, I think I need to read some of C.S. Lewis. So I started reading some of C.S. Lewis, and I got to his chapter on forgiveness, and when he's in this chapter on forgiveness, he immediately starts talking about love. Of course he starts talking about love, though, right? Because forgiveness is an effect. Forgiveness is a fruit. Love is the source. Love is the root. So, of course, when he's going to start talking about forgiveness, he's immediately going to talk about love. Because forgiveness flows from love. It's the fruit of love, right? So he would say, maybe, because he was friends with the one that did say this, love is the ring that rules them all. Tolkien, just in case. The Inklings, they were friends. Everybody knows this, though, right? You know this, I know this, our culture knows this. In the church, out of the church, everybody knows this. So love is the ring that rules them all can actually be something that everyone can unite around. Now, love is a big deal. Everybody knows this. I wish I would have stopped reading at that point. I wish I would have said, hey, that's really good, C.S. Lewis. Great inspirational thoughts. I'm done. Move on to the next topic. But instead, I kept reading. And when I kept reading, he ruined everything. Absolutely obliterated everything because he started talking about, listen, how to know that you have love in you. How to know. He started talking about a love test. And I said, a love test? A test for love? You're going to, what? What is that? He's going to give me a test to test whether I have love or not. So I started getting a little on edge. And that's when he said this. He, he anticipated my foul response. He said, I am telling you what Christianity is. I didn't invent it. And there, right in the middle of it, I find, forgive us our sins and we forgive those who... Oh, my word. The love test, he says, whether you have love or not, truly, is whether you love your enemies. Troublemaker. Daggum troublemaker. Radical, revolutionary. I told you I wish I would have stopped reading. And then he went a little further, like getting in your business, you know. He says, I'm going to give you a love test, like the take-home kind. You can do in the privacy of your own home. He was thinking of you and me. And here's the love test. Suppose you read about some filthy atrocity, right? You read about it on Reddit, or it was tweeted, or is on, you know, what is it, Instagram, Facebook, or maybe the good old-fashioned way like the Waco Tribune Herald. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's this mysterious thing that shows up between 4 and 5 in the morning, and it just appears on your driveway. And I heard that there are some child labor law stuff that people are investigating, because kids do this, right? Suppose you read about a filthy atrocity. Now, he, this is, he's going to read, I'm going to read what he says. He wrote this in 1943. That something turns up suggesting that the story, though, however, might not be quite true or might not be quite so bad as it was made out. Is one's first feeling, thank God that they aren't quite as bad as I thought. Or thank God it's not as bad and atrocious as once written about or perceived. Or is it a feeling of disappointment? and even a determination to cling to the first story for the sheer pleasure of thinking your enemies as bad as they can be possible. If it's a second, 
then it is, I am afraid, the first step into a process which, if followed to the end, will make us into devils. Love is a strange thing. Without it, we become a devil. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. We have a lot to read, so you can sit down anytime you like. So we're at Joseph. The boy, uh, his, his brothers are going back to Egypt, and Joseph's not done yet with them. So he tells his steward to fill the men's socks with food, sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put in each man's sack money in the mouth of the sack, and put my cup, ooh, my cup, the silver cup, right, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain, and he did this as Joseph told him. So as soon as the morning light struck, the men then are sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? Divination? You have done evil in doing this. So when he overtook them, he spoke these words to them. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. Remember, we were freaking out about it. How then could we steal silver or gold from our Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we'll be your Lord's servants. See, it's high treason, and it's a, it's a capital offense to be in like a pharaoh or a superpower or a king's place who's giving hospitality to you, and you steal from them. You lose your life. Everybody knew it. That's why they said this. The brothers knew it. He said, Joseph said, okay, let it be as you say. Who is found with it shall be my servant. I'll enslave them, and the rest of you should be innocent, and you can go free. And then the men quickly lowered each sack to the ground. Now, you can see it, right? Each sack, 10 sacks, starting with the oldest, going to the youngest, gets to the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Now, don't miss this, y'all. The brothers actually think Benjamin stole it. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. And when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground again. They can't help but fall before Joseph. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Well, that's a shocker. Everyone in the ancient world knew, and everyone today that studies that ancient world knows that the Egyptians were particularly fond of intentionally trying to connect to the dark powers. They were well-versed in the occult. So they were always trying to connect to celestial beings. They were always trying to find spirit guides. They were always trying to find the bathema and deal with aliens and ghosts and poltergeists and Bigfoot. They were all into that stuff, all into it. In fact, many scholars believe that's how they built the pyramids. That's, that's for another topic, right? That's a Wednesday night topic. I'd love to pick up that topic sometime. And FYI, when Moses does come in and he delivers the nine plagues upon Egypt, those nine plagues are directed against the nine gods of Egypt, the dark powers. Fascinating, isn't it? So Judah said, what shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup was found. But he said this, but Joseph said this. Now, this would have been a stake through their hearts. 
oh, far be it from me that I should do this unjust thing, right? Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my slave. So only Benjamin, the one that it can't be, right? The rest of you, y'all can leave. All right, so Judah goes up to him and says, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in, into the Lord's ears and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. And then he tells the sad tale of this Jewish father back in Canaan who lost his son and he can't lose this one. And so now Joseph hears for the first time, Oh, this is what was happened to me, right? I was torn to pieces by an animal. Oh, okay, good, great. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your father, your servant, my father, and the boy's not with us, his life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees the boy's not with us, he'll die. And your servants will bring down <clears throat> the gray hairs of your servant upon my father with sorrows to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I don't bring him back to you, Dad, then I will bear the shame for my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to this to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his father. This is the pivotal point of all of Genesis. Literarily, it's a chiastic structure. So we tend to think, you know, there's that line, God, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Everybody usually sees that as the high point of Genesis. The high point of Genesis, literarily, theologically, is when Judah, Judah turns into a substitute. Bible is all about Jesus. And when this happens, Joseph is unhinged. Substitutionary love unhinges everybody it comes in contact with. Joseph couldn't control himself before all who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. And they fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin fell upon his neck and wept. And all the brothers kissed and wept. And the brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, we ask that you would shine on your page. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Thank you that you speak us back to life again. Would you do so now in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay, so love is a strange thing, a strange thing. Without it, without it, we become a devil. The beginning of the story, the brothers were without love. Just to rehash some of the things that were said about them. The brothers were, as soon as the Joseph story begins, we learn that the brothers hate Joseph. That's how the story begins. An uncontrollable, overwhelming, intoxicating hatred for their brother. They hated Joseph, could not speak with him, verse 4 of 37. Verse 5 of 37, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And then we come down to 37, 18. They saw him from afar. Before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then what happens next? They had lunch. Where did they have lunch? Around the pit. And then we're told later that what, here's what was going on in the pit. So they're, they're eating, munching on their, on their lunch like a bunch of devils, like a bunch of wild animals around a pit, while the one in the pit is begging and begging and begging for his life. The text tells us he breaks down. 
That would be a mental health breakdown. That would be like mental health experts would say something like he split. All while the brothers munch on their lunch like a bunch of devils. Now, at the end of the story, though, we find that the brothers are now with love. Isn't this interesting? It, now they're with it. Genesis 45, 14. Then they fell upon their brother's neck. They wept. They're weeping. They're loving. At the beginning of the story, there's a verb that describes their hatred. And then at the end of the story, there's a verb that describes their love. It's the same verb. It's an uncontrollable, powerful verb. In other words, at the beginning of the story, they were... Hatred was uncontrollable. Hatred was consuming everything. Hatred was swallowing everything up. But then at the end of the story, love can't be controlled. It can't be restrained. It's swallowing everything up. It's compelling and reaching and overwhelming everybody. Isn't that fascinating? Same verb. Love is a strange thing. Without it, you become a devil. With it, you become like God. Ty asked me earlier this week, we were talking about heaven, and he wanted to know what heaven was like, and he was just, we were just kind of talking about, like, are you going to be 13, have a 13-year-old body, a 25-year-old body, an 80-year-old body? What are we, we going to, you know, it, it kind of went like that. Remember that went? And I was kind of like, yeah, that's a really good question. You know, what would we have? And then and as we were talking, we realized this. Whatever it is, you're going to finally be you. You're going to finally be yourself, whatever that is. With love, you finally become yourself. And wherever you go, you love people back to life again. And wherever you go, whatever place you go to, if you go over to this place, this place becomes less dead and less dark. Well, how do we know that? Because Jesus says so. He says, church, you're salt and you're light. Wherever salt goes in a place, it makes that place less dead. Church, God's people, wherever you go, you're a light. Wherever you go, that place becomes less dark. Less dead, less dark. Even your dog will notice. When you walk by, the trees will groan less. And when Pharaoh and the palace hear about this reunion of the brothers and they hear about the, the love that's overwhelming everybody at this time, you know what happens to Pharaoh and the palace? They change. They change. It changes them just like Jesus said. Remember Jesus says, listen, Listen, he's talking to his closest friends. Listen, guys, listen. People will know me and that you're with me, that you trust in good news and not good advice, that you trust in grace, that you trust in who I am and what I do, that you're, you're a part of me. People will know that by you loving one another. I should say it this way. It's indicative. It's not a command. They will know that. Because you love one another. Love is a strange thing. 
Without it, we become a devil. With it, we become like God and become ourselves finally. So how do you get this strange thing, right? So how do you love? I mean, I want to know. Do you want to know? Here's the answer from the text. It's going to shock you. Did you see it in the text? Here's how. If you want to love, this is what's got to happen to you. This is what's got to happen to me. Here's what you need. You need a magic cup. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. Can you feel it? I mean, ten brothers are standing there, starting with the oldest. They're emptying their sacks, and they're just like, what the Sam Hill are we doing? We don't have the cup. We don't have the cup. Ten sacks, no treachery, no capital offense, no grieving the hospitality of Pharaoh himself, right, or little Pharaoh. And then he gets down to the youngest sack, and the only sack, it cannot be. The only sack, it must never be. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, and they tore their clothes, every man. What is the magic cup in your life? What is the magic cup that finds you? What is the cup that finds your guilt? What is the magic cup that finds you to be a person that's lacking in love? Is it that jerk in your classroom? Is it your spouse? Is it your kid? Kids? Many kids? Is it your ideological enemy? Is it the racial other? Is it the one accusing you of racism? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves. Behold, we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. Notice Judah says we over and over and over again six times. Notice he's not saying that damn Benjamin. Right? Now we, we are guilty. We've been found out. We are unloving brothers. And we've been that way from the beginning. Why does Judah say we? Because he knows the deeper magic that's at work here. It's more than the magic cup. The magic cup is just a cup, right? We know that. He knows that. But he knows that it was an instrument by which deeper magic was at work to reveal Judah to Judah, to reveal Benjamin to Benjamin, to reveal Simeon to Simeon, to reveal all the brothers to themselves. God has found us unloving. God has found us guilty. God has found us. So ultimately, it's not the jerk in your classroom. It's not your spouse. It's not a child. It's not a neighbor. It's not the ideological enemy. It's not the one accusing you of racism. 
and it's not the racial other. Ultimately, it's God. So what do you do when God finds you out? What do you do when he uses a magic cup to show you to you? What do you do? What is there to do? You're right. I'm an unloving person, Judah says. You're right. We are unloving brothers. You're right. We're guilty. Bingo. You admit it. In other words, at that moment, they thought their life was over, but at that moment, their life actually began. These brothers were about ready to be enslaved, but for the first time in their life, they knew they were free. When we are able, by God's grace, to admit who we really are and what we're really like, it is the most, you are finally yourself. You are finally free. You are finally fearless. You are finally bold. You are finally courageous because people can say what they want. Who cares? You don't have to worry about what they say about you. You'll stand up and speak. Do you notice what happens? What happens when you, when you are worried? In other words, there are people, there are situations, things that happen in our life that start showing us we're unloving people, show us that we're guilty. What do we do? We avoid those things. Well, I can't be around that person because then I'll feel this about me. And life gets smaller and smaller and chains get bigger and bigger and your world restricts and restricts and you start trying to avoid this and try to avoid that. Now, you can do that, but you're going to be doing that for the rest of your life because God is absolutely committed to showing you and me that we're not loving people. He's absolutely committed to finding out our guilt. And so it might be that magic cup or it might be that magic cup, but he's got plenty of them and he's got all the endurance in the world. But then the moment you stop and you say, <laughs> bingo, I'm guilty. You're finally yourself and you're finally free. How do we obtain the strange thing? How do we love? First, we need a magic cup to show us our lack of love. Second, we need someone to love first. It's never going to happen if you're going to think you're the one that's going to do it. It's just never going to happen. You need someone to love first before you have any hope of loving. Did you notice when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, it's not good news to them? You know, this big moment. I mean, I couldn't wait. I remember reading it. I've read this millions of times. I got to it even this time for preaching. And I'm like, this is it. This is it. I am Joseph. And you just feel like that's when the, you know, the confetti falls. He gets crowned world champion, whatever it is. But instead, the text says, his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Now, that's just such a nice word. I don't know why translators do that. It literally, the Hebrew word is they were terrified. They were freaking out. They were having a panic attack. They were done. What turns their terror, though, into trust? What changes them? What heals them? Joseph loves first. You know, there are many times in our marriage, Nancy and I, when I say we, um, where I am, how do you say? What's the right word? Difficult? It's a good word. There are many times in our marriage when, let's say, I am difficult. When I am difficult, 
I have these kind of thoughts and feelings that go through my head. I just thought I would share them with you. I have this thought like, I'm right, of course. She's wrong, of course. I'm not budging. I'm not moving. And then something absolutely otherworldly happens. She, Nancy, loves me first. And winter turns into spring. Just like that. What if you love the jerk in homeroom first? What if you love your spouse first? What if you love your child first? What if you love your ideological enemy first? What if you love the racial other first? What if you love the one accusing you of racism first? Now, please don't misunderstand me because even in here, I mean, C.S. Lewis knew that misunderstanding was happening. This is what we're calling this personal dynamic of believing the gospel in our relationships. We're called to love our enemies. That does not mean on a criminal civil realm that enemies that violate civil laws don't get restrained. These are two different conversations. And not only that, you can be loving your enemy and still seeing them be restrained. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, does loving your enemy mean not punishing them? No. If one had committed a murder, the right Christian thing to do would be to give yourself up to the police and be hanged. And he goes on to talk about how there are two words for killing in the Bible, two words in the Greek. One's murder, one's kill. Every time Jesus talks about that, about thou shall not, he uses the murder, not the kill. And so what C.S. Lewis goes on to do is he talks about how civil authorities, you can be policemen, you can be governors, you can be people that are in charge of civilizations, kings, and restrain evil and have civil justice, he says. There can be soldiers and that can be, a Christian can do that. So just in case, just to throw that out there, if you want to read further about it, it's really, really good. Again, it's mere Christianity, his chapter on forgiveness. So love is a strange thing. Without it, we become a devil. With it, we become like God. How do we obtain this strange thing? You need a magic cup. You need a magic cup to show you you're not a loving person. And you need someone to love you first. Someone to put love in your heart or it's never going to come from you because it will never come from you. Don't miss how Joseph frames Benjamin for a crime he didn't commit. Did you see that? And don't miss how Joseph orders Benjamin to be enslaved for something he didn't do. In other words, Benjamin's an innocent man. Sound familiar? But there are two key differences between Benjamin and Jesus. Here's the first key difference. Jesus wanted to be punished for a crime he didn't commit. And that leads us to our second difference between he and Benjamin. Why would he want such a thing? Because he wanted to take your place. Because he loved you first. Because he wanted to be enslaved instead of you to sin. He wanted to be enslaved instead of you to death. He wanted to be enslaved instead of you to the evil one. He wanted the punishment. He wanted the guilt for not loving like we do. 
to fall on him and not on us. Because he loves first. This first love is the only thing that can put love into your heart. There's no other way to get it. And when his first love overwhelms, overmasters, overrides, completely swallows you up like it did the brothers. You know what you do? Now you're free to love the jerk in homeroom. Now you're free to love the racial other. Now you're free to love your spouse. Now you're free to love your child. Now you're free to love your ideological enemy. Now you're free to love the one that accuses you of racism. Love is a strange thing, is it not? It's so strange. Without it, we become a devil. With it, we become like God. You finally become yourself. Amen. Let's pray.